After reciting the Tashahud, Ta'awuz and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih V, Ayyadahullah Ta'ala bin Asrihil Aziz stated, that accounts from the life of Hazrat Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu were being narrated. In particular, the battles fought immediately after the demise of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, against the hypocrites and the opponents of Islam were being mentioned. With regards to this, the battle fought by Hazrat Khalid bin Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhu against Musalma Kazab had been mentioned as well as the bravery of the flag-bearers among the various contingents of the Muslims. And as it was mentioned, the flag of the Ansar was in the hands of Hazrat Sabit bin Qais radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and the flag of the Muhajireen was in the hands of Hazrat Zaid bin Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Hazrat Zaid bin Khattab said to the people that, O people, remain resolute and attack the enemy and march forward. Following this, he said that by Allah, I will not speak until Allah defeats them or until I meet Allah, in other words, he passes away, and will present my case before him. Hazrat Zaid bin Khattab was also martyred. With regards to Hazrat Zaid bin Khattab, it is said that he was the stepbrother of Hazrat Umar bin Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He was among the early people to have accepted Islam and he participated in the Battle of Badr as well as the battles thereafter. After the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, migrated to Medina, he established a bond of brotherhood between Hazrat Zaid and Ma'an bin Adi Ansari and both of them were martyred during the Battle of Yamama. When Hazrat Khalid bin Walid organized the army during the Battle of Yamama, he appointed Hazrat Zaid bin Khattab as the leader of one of its contingents and he also held the flag of the Muhajireen during this battle. Hazrat Zaid continued to advance with the flag in his hand and fought with utmost courage until he was martyred and the flag fell to the ground. Thereafter, 
Salim, the freed slave of Abu Huzaifa, then picked up the flag. And during this battle, Zaid killed Rajal bin Unfuwa, who was a close associate of Musalma and a courageous horseman. The person who martyred Zaid was called Maryam Hanafi, and he later became a Muslim. And on one occasion, when Hazrat Umar told him that he had martyred his brother, upon this he stated that, O Amir al Mu'mineen, I leader of the faithful, Allah the Almighty honoured Zaid through my hands, and he did not allow me to be disgraced by his hands. In other words, Hazrat Zaid embraced the status of martyrdom. However, if I had been killed at his hands on that occasion, then I would have died in disgrace. Moreover, I have now been enabled to accept Islam. Hazrat Umar anhu's son, Hazrat Abdullah bin Umar also participated in the Battle of Yamama. When he returned to Medina, Hazrat Umar anhu said to him, saddened by his brother's martyrdom, that since your uncle Zaid has been martyred, then why did you return and why did you not hide your face from me? When the news of Zaid anhu's death reached Hazrat Umar anhu, he stated that Zaid had surpassed me in two virtuous deeds. This has already been mentioned previously, that Hazrat Umar stated that he accepted Islam before him and was martyred before him as well. When Hazrat Khalid killed Malik bin Nuwera, his brother Mutammim bin Nuwera recited various couplets on the death of his brother Malik. He loved his brother dearly and he would often weep and recite couplets upon his demise. When he met Hazrat Umar on one occasion, he recited some couplets regarding the demise of his brother. And upon this, Hazrat Umar stated that if I knew how to compose couplets, I would have also recited some couplets on the demise of my brother Zaid, just as you have done. Upon this, Mutammim said that if my brother had died in the same way that your brother died, in other words, he attained the status of martyrdom, I would never have grieved over my brother's death. Hazrat Umar replied upon this that no one has ever expressed their condolence over my brother in the same beautiful manner as you have. Hazrat Umar used to say that whenever the gentle breeze would blow, it would refresh the memory of his brother. In any case, the battle was being mentioned and Musalma Qazab was still firm in his opposition and was the central figure for the disbelievers in their battle. Upon assessing the situation, Hazrat Khalid felt that the fighting would only end when Musalma was killed because if anyone from among the Banu Hanifa was killed, it would have no effect on any of them, i.e. the companions of Musalma Qazab. Hence, Hazrat Khalid went ahead by himself, calling them out one after the other for a one-on-one battle and raising his slogan. The slogan of the Muslims was, Ya Muhammad, 
and thus whoever came forward to battle was killed by Hazrat Khalid and the Muslims then fought with great zeal. Hazrat Khalid called out Musalma for a battle which he accepted and Hazrat Khalid then presented some things according to his wish. Hazrat Khalid then launched his attack but he fled and his companions also fled. Upon this, Hazrat Khalid proclaimed to the people that remain vigilant and do not show any negligence. Go forth and do not let any of them get away. Thereupon, the Muslims charged upon them. The utmost patience and resilience displayed by the companions during this battle is unparalleled and they continued to charge towards the enemy until Allah the Almighty granted them victory over them and the disbelievers fled. The Muslims then pursued them and continued to kill them, smiting their necks with their swords until they forced them to take shelter in a garden. Muhakim bin Tufel, a chief of the Banu Hanifa, said to the people as he was running, that, O people, enter this garden. It was a very vast garden which was surrounded by walls. And Muhakim bin Tufel began to confront the Muslims who were in pursuit of the Banu Hanifa. This garden was close to the battlefield and it belonged to Musalma. And this garden was known as Hadikatul Rahman, just like Musalma was known as Rahmanu Yamama. However, as a result of a large number of enemies being killed in this garden, it then also became known as Hadikatul Maut, i.e. the Garden of Death. Musalma also entered this garden along with his companions. Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Abi Bakr saw that Muhakim, one of the chiefs of the Banu Hanifa, was delivering an address, so he shot an arrow at him and killed him. The Banu Hanifa shut the gates of the garden and so the Muslims surrounded the garden from all four directions. The Muslims were searching for a way to somehow enter the garden. However, this garden was like a fortress and despite their search, the Muslims were unable to find any way in. Eventually, Hazrat Bara bin Malik the brother of Hazrat Anas bin Malik, who had participated alongside the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, in the battles of Ahud and the Battle of Ditch, and who was very courageous, stated that, O Muslims, there is only one way. You must lift me and throw me over into the garden, and I shall enter and open the gate. However, the Muslims could not bear for a highly esteemed companion to give up his life in the midst of thousands of enemies, and so they refused to do so. However, Hazrat Bara bin Malik began insisting and stated that by Allah, you must throw me over the wall into the garden. In the end, left with no choice, the Muslims helped him climb over the wall of the garden. Having climbed on the wall, Hazrat Bara bin Malik saw the large number of enemies and paused for a moment. But then, whilst reciting the name of Allah, he jumped towards the gate of the garden and whilst fighting and slaying the opponents on his way, he headed towards the gate. Eventually, he succeeded in reaching the gate and opened it. 
The Muslims, on the other hand, were lying in wait for the gate to be opened, and as soon as the gate opened, they entered and began killing the enemy. The Banu Hanifa tried to run away, but they were unable to exit the garden, and the result was that thousands of men were killed by the Muslims. According to one narration, it was not only Barab bin Malik, rather a few other Muslims also jumped over the wall and made their way to the gate. As the Muslims battled against the apostates, they managed to reach Musalma Kazab, and in order to protect himself, he was standing in an opening in the wall, and he resembled an ash-coloured camel who wanted to climb the wall and had lost its senses due to rage. Wahshi bin Harib, who had martyred Hazrat Hamza radiallahu in the Battle of Ahab, made his way towards Musalma. And holding the same spear he used to martyr Hazrat Hamza radiallahu he threw it towards Musalma. It struck him and went straight through him. Following this, Abu Dujana Simak bin Kharsha quickly went towards him and struck him with his sword, leaving him lifeless on the ground. A woman from inside the fort cried out, that the most handsome leader has been killed by a slave of dark complexion. With regards to who killed Musalma and banished him to hell, Baladri states that the Banu Amir say that one of their tribesmen, Khidash bin Bashir, killed him. And according to one narration, Abdullah bin Zayl from the Khazraj branch of the Ansar tribe killed him. Some narrations state that Abu Dujana killed him and Muawiyah bin Sufyan said that he killed Musalma. And according to some narrations, there is a possibility that all of them had a hand in his killing. Some books which include At-Tabari state that Musalma was jointly killed by one Ansari companion and Wahshi. Wahshi bin Harb has narrated the account of killing Musalma in his own words as follows that after martyring Hazrat Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when the people returned to Makkah, I also returned with them and remained in Makkah. When the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, conquered Makkah and Islam spread in Makkah, I migrated to Taif. People sent emissaries to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and they said to me also that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, does not turn away the emissaries. Wahshi further states that so I also joined these emissaries and went to see the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And as soon as the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, saw me, he asked that, Are you Wahshi? I responded in the affirmative. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, then said, that Sit down and tell me the details of how you killed Hamza. And so I informed him of all the details. When I had finished narrating the details, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, asked that, Is it possible for you to not come in front of me? Wahshi says that upon this I left from there, and when the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, passed away, and Musalma Kazab started a rebellion, I said to myself that I would certainly head out towards Musalma and kill him so that through this I could atone for my killing of Hazrat Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu.
Nonetheless, Washi says that he set out for the battle and the events transpired which he narrates as follows. He states that I saw a man standing in the cleft of the wall and this man's complexion resembled that of a wheat-coloured camel and his hair was unkempt and untidy. I attacked him with my spear, striking him in his chest in a way that it traversed his body between the shoulders. In any case, he further relates that someone then from among the Ansar leapt towards him and struck his head with his sword. The narrator Suleiman bin Yasar heard from Hazrat Abdullah bin Umar that when Musalma was killed, the young girl who stood at the top of the roof said that Amir al-Mu'mineen, in other words referring to Musalma, has been killed by a black slave. This is a narration from Sahih Bukhari. Wahshi narrates that Allah knows best as to who out of the two of us killed Musalma, i.e. between the Ansari companion and Hazrat Wahshi. However, if it was me, then I had killed the most excellent person after the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. In other words, Hazrat Hamza anhu, And I was also the one who killed the most wretched person, that is Musalma. With regards to the tradition of Sahih Bukhari wherein it is mentioned that the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him asked Washi that if it was possible that he not come before him. Hazrat Sayyid Zainul Abidin Waliullah Shah Sahib has written that the transformation that took place in Washi reflects his sincerity. For it was his desire to somehow atone for his mistake. And so during the fierce battle of Yamama he was able to fulfill this desire of his and succeed. Shah Sahib then further writes that these words of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that is it possible for you to not come before me, are words that reflect the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him's lofty morals. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, expressed his wish in that if it was possible, he should not come before him. This was not said in a strong or harsh manner, rather as a request and in a tone of humility. From these words, one can ascertain the love and respect the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had for Hazrat Hamza anhu. A person who only wants to seek retribution could have comforted his heart by exacting revenge, but the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, pardoned him and only desired that he not come before him, lest his heart is pained by being reminded of how Hazrat Hamza anhu was brutally martyred. The details of the Battle of Yamama have been mentioned in another place as well, and the bravery and courage of the Muslims has also been mentioned as follows. It states that both armies engaged in a fierce battle, and many people from each side were either killed or injured. Malik bin Aus was the first amongst the Muslims to be martyred in this battle, and many of the Hufas of the Qur'an amongst the Muslims were also martyred. The Muslim army and Musalma's army clashed in a fierce battle and entered into one another's rows. And whenever the Muslims would retreat, the enemy would press ahead in order to reach Mujah. 
and Salim, the freed slave of Hazrat Abu Huzaifa, dug a pit almost knee-deep and he was holding the flag of the Muhajireen. And Sabit also dug a similar pit for himself and they both attached their respective flags with them and everyone else dispersed in all different directions. In other words, they dug a pit and then stood in it and attached their flags to themselves. Salim and Sabit remained steadfast with their flags until Salim and Abu Huzaifa were both martyred. Hazrat Abu Huzaifa's head was lying in the feet of Salim and Salim anhu's head was lying in the feet of Hazrat Abu Huzaifa anhu. When Salim was martyred, for a short while his flag remained there and then Yazid bin Qais, who was a companion that took part in the Battle of Badr, came forward and took hold of the flag and he was also martyred. Then Hakam bin Said bin As took hold of the flag and spent the entire day fighting whilst protecting the flag and he too was then martyred. Rashi states that an extremely fierce battle ensued and on three occasions the Muslims lost ground but then on the fourth occasion they returned and attacked once again and remained resolute even in the face of the attacks from the swords. He further states that the swords of the Muslims and the Banu Hanifa clashed against one another and he could see sparks coming from them and a sound the likes of a bell could be heard from them. Allah the Almighty granted his help to the Muslims and the Banu Hanifa were ultimately defeated and Allah killed Muslima. Washi states that he used his sword to great effect that day and his sword was covered in blood right down to its handle. Hazrat ibn Umar states that he saw Hazrat Ammar bin Yasir climbing a mountain and he was shouting that, O Muslims, are you running from paradise? I am Ammar bin Yasir, come towards me. The narrator states that he saw that Hazrat Ammar bin Yasir's ear had been cut and was dangling. Abu Khasma Najari relates that when the Muslims became scattered on the occasion of the Battle of Yamama, I went to one side and I could see Hazrat Abu Dujana. His actual name was Simak bin Kharasha and he was known by the title of Abu Dujana. He is the famous companion who took part in all the battles alongside the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And also on the occasion of the Battle of Uhud, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, took hold of a sword and stated that who shall do justice to this sword? And it was Abu Dujana who stated that I will do justice to it. Subsequently, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, granted him the sword. In other narrations, it is reported that he submitted that how can one do justice to this sword? Upon which the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stated that do not kill a fellow Muslim and nor run away from a disbeliever. And as was his practice, Hazrat Abu Dujana tied a red strip of cloth around his head and then proudly walked and stood in the centre of the army rose. Upon this, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stated that although God is displeased with one who walks in such a manner, however, there is no harm if done on such occasions. He then battled with great bravery and killed many disbelievers and endured many wounds whilst protecting the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. However, he did not run from the battlefield. In any case, the Battle of Yamama was being mentioned. The aforementioned incident was during the life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. 
But during the Battle of Yamama, it is mentioned that a group from among the Banu Hanifa attacked Abu Dujana. Abu Dujana was fighting with his sword in front of him, to his right and to his left. He then struck a person and felled him to the ground. And he was not saying anything at the time. And eventually that group retreated and returned and the Muslims were able to get closer to him. The Banu Hanifa suffered defeat and fled towards the garden and the Muslims went after them and then left them with no choice but to take refuge inside the garden. When the Banu Hanifa closed the gates of the garden, Hazrat Abu Dujana asked to be put onto a shield and then be thrown over so that he could enter and open the gates of the garden. And so the Muslims did just that and he entered inside the garden and he was saying that you running away from us cannot save you. He then intensely fought against them and eventually they opened the gates. The narrator states that when they entered the garden, he had been martyred. According to another narration, Bara bin Malik was the one who was thrown into the garden and the earlier narration regarding Bara bin Malik seems to be more correct. In any case, there are some further details to this incident which I will inshallah narrate in the future. At present, I would like to request prayers for Pakistan, pray especially for Ahmadis living there. The general situation in Pakistan is slowly deteriorating. In such circumstances, they usually turn their attention towards Ahmadis. Enmity and hostility against Ahmadis is increasing. They have not even stopped from desecrating old graves. These people are extremely immoral and evil-natured. May Allah the Almighty hold them accountable. Also, pray for the Ahmadis living in Algeria, for they are also facing difficulties. And also pray for the Ahmadis in Afghanistan. May Allah the Almighty bestow His grace and blessings upon everyone. I will now mention some deceased members and will also lead their funeral prayers in absentia after the Friday prayer. The first mention is of respected Naseem Mahdi Sahib, who was a missionary of the Jamaat. He was the son of respected Mulana Ahmad Khan Naseem Sahib. He recently passed away at the age of 69. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Verily to Allah we belong, and to him shall we return. By the grace of Allah the Almighty, he was also a Musi. He had married twice. His first wife passed away, and he is survived by his second wife, and also two sons and a daughter from the first wife, and two sons and a daughter from the second wife. He graduated from Jamia Ahmadiyya Rabwa in 1976 and then had the opportunity to serve as Islaw Shad Mugami. Then in 1983 he was sent as a missionary to Switzerland and there he also had the opportunity to serve. Then in 1984 he was appointed as Naib Vakilut and for a few months he also served as acting Vakilut Tabshid. Then in December 1984, he came here to London and had the opportunity to serve as private secretary here in London. And then after a few months here, he was then appointed to Canada in 1985. From 1985 to 2008, 
He had the opportunity to serve as a missionary and then later as missionary in charge and the Amir of the Jamaat in Canada. And from 2009 to 2016, he had the opportunity to serve as missionary in charge in USA. Thereafter, he fell ill and he was appointed again to Switzerland. However, he wrote that the doctors had advised him that owing to his health, he could not take on any heavy work. And so he requested leave for an indefinite period. Upon this, I wrote to him that based on the condition of his health and the advice of the doctors, he should take care of his health. And then once he had recovered, he should inform and inshallah his services would be utilized again. However, his condition continued to deteriorate. As I mentioned that he went to Canada in 1985 and in 1986, 24 acres of land was purchased for the Baitul Islam Mission House, which was then developed into a residential area as well. Many Ahmadis settled in Canada in his time there, during which he helped them a great deal. And many are extremely grateful for his kindness. He also had the systems of Chanda and Tajneed computerized. Also, two large mosques in Toronto and Calgary were built, and also prayer centers were established in various other Jamaats. I believe that perhaps the Vancouver Mosque was also built during his time. But in any case, two large mosques were certainly built during his time there. In 2003, during his tenure, Jami Ahmadiyya Canada was established by the grace of Allah the Almighty. Similarly, he also played a pivotal role in the establishment of the MTA North America station. May Allah the Almighty accept all of his services. His wife, Amtul Nasir Sahiba, writes that in the 26 years of our marriage, I saw Nasim Mahdi Sahib to be extremely supportive in every time of grief and pain. He was a very loving and respectful husband, a kind father and a devoted brother. He cared a great deal for humanity and was subservient and obedient to the institution of Khilafat. He had complete faith in Allah the Almighty and was a pious individual. His wife further writes that he selflessly served many people and met everyone in a loving manner. And he could never bear to hear anything said against the Jamaat, and nor would anyone have the courage to say such things in his presence. He was also extremely hospitable, and he would always pay special attention towards reciting Durood, i.e. the prayer for invoking blessings upon the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. She says, when we went for Umrah, I asked him what he had prayed for, and he responded by saying that he had only recited Durood. His daughter, Sadia Mahdi, says, 
and my father was a very devoted to prayer. She says, whenever I asked him for prayers, he would advise me to recite the durood. In any matter which I asked him for prayers, he would always draw my attention towards reciting durood. She says that one day I asked him why he advised to recite durood for every matter. And he responded by saying that I should recite durood and explain that durood is the greatest prayer. If this prayer was accepted, then all other prayers would be accepted as well. Ismat Sharif Sahiba says that Mehdi Sahib was my brother-in-law and I've witnessed him closely for 22 years. He was extremely kind and caring and would meet everyone with great love. He had a deep-rooted connection with the Khalifa of the time. His sister says that when he was serving as a missionary in Switzerland, a Swiss woman who had accepted Ahmadiyyat came to Rabwa on the occasion of the Jalsa Salana. She came to our home in Rabwa saying that she wished to meet Naseem Mahdi Sahib's mother as she wished to meet the mother of a son who was so intelligent and who in such a short amount of time obtained mastery over so many languages and who remains engaged in tabligh without any apprehension and is able to speak fluently on any subject. His daughter-in-law states that he always taught us about the importance of Darud and using it to support our prayers. Once he explained that he was standing in a line at the airport when he realized that his passport had expired. And so he immediately began reciting Darud and remained standing in the line. The person standing at the counter did not even check his passport and let him through. His son-in-law writes that when I got married, he treated me with great love and kindness. He would make tea for me himself, and after the Fajr prayer, he would sit with me and would relate a verse or incident from the Holy Qur'an and would then explain its commentary. And this was a subtle way in which he would train us. His daughter, Nawal Mahdi, says that I always observed that he would pay great attention to the Holy Qur'an and that he was an ardent lover of the Holy Qur'an. He would also enjoin us to intently study the Holy Qur'an and try to understand its meanings, as a result of which we would be able to see the manifestations of Allah the Almighty's power. And we would also begin to enjoy reciting the Holy Qur'an. She further states that he regularly offered the tahajjud, i.e. the pre-dawn voluntary prayers, and he would spend extended time standing, bowing and prostrating in prayer and would offer his prayers with great fervour and passion. He would deliver dars of the Holy Qur'an during the blessed month of Ramadan and he would prepare these lessons with great effort and many others have written about this as well. He would explain the meanings of difficult words in the Holy Qur'an and would then present other similar words which would help people easily understand. Lal Khan Sahib, the Amir Jamaat Canada says 
that since 1987, I worked with the former Amir and missionary in charge of Canada for a long time, i.e. Nasim Mahdi Sahib. And Allah the Almighty bestowed upon him many qualities which he employed in service of the Jamaat. He further states that Allah the Almighty enabled him to establish and maintain friendships and to use these connections for the benefit of the Jamaat. And through personal relationships with various departments of the Canadian society, he introduced them to the message of the Jamaat. MashaAllah, he truly possessed this brilliant quality and he was able to build strong connections and others honoured this relationship as well. As such, Upon his demise, many non-Ahmadis offered their condolences. Lal Khan Sahib further writes that Allah the Almighty enabled him to carry out the responsibility of helping and guiding people and the families arriving from Pakistan and other countries. He then says his relationship with the members of the Majlis-e Amla was that of friends. He says, I was able to serve under his leadership for about 20 years, during which time he never made me feel that I was his subordinate due to him being the Amir. Instead, he treated me like a friend. Then Dr. Aslam Daud Sahib says that in 2009, Naseem Mahdi Sahib was awarded the Order of Ontario Medal, which is the province's highest award which can be given to any citizen. And the award recognizes excellence and outstanding service in any field. He further states that when he was appointed to USA, I met him once at Jalsa Salana and it was then that he advised me saying that I was now in a position where I should serve people as much as I possibly could. He stated that whenever a Jamaat member comes to me, I should help them and should never turn them away and I should do whatever I can for them. He also said that at times people do not speak in a becoming manner, but even still I should silently try to help them. He further states that I always saw him helping those in need and he would do so in a very discreet manner so that those in need never felt any sort of embarrassment. Shakur Sahib, who is a missionary, states that of the many things which he said was a piece of advice which has stuck with me and it is that during my early years in Jamia, when I was in the third year, I went to the mosque for Asr prayer whilst wearing slippers. Upon this, he told me that life devotees should leave the home prepared for any circumstance so that if they receive any instruction, they can set out for its fulfilment right away. He said that you should not have to say that you first need to return home in order to get ready. Rather, one should always remain mentally and physically prepared. Then Farasat Umar Sahib, a missionary in USA, says that during my interview for Jamia Ahmadiyya, Mahdi Sahib asked me that if I were to be sent to Africa as a missionary, and I faced opposition from the local people, then who would I contact first? My mother or Khalifatul Masih?
He says that after giving it some thought, I responded by saying Khalifatul Masih. Upon this, Mahdi Sahib said that he would recommend my admission purely based on this response, as this was the correct answer. Then Colonel Dildar Sahib, who is serving as the Secretary Mission House, says that a salient aspect of Naseem Mahdi Sahib was his obedience to the Khulafa. Among his achievements is the establishment of Peace Village. The way this came to fruition is that at the time, the Jalsa Salana used to be held in the field adjacent to the Batul Islam Mosque. He says that in those days, the owner of the neighbouring agricultural land would complain every year on the occasion of Jalsa that she was disturbed by the noise created by Jalsa and she could not withstand the smell of food produced by the langar. In any case, after some time when the government implemented new zoning laws for that agricultural land to become a residential area, Naseem Mahdi Sahib became worried that up until then it was only one landowner that was causing them trouble and now there would be many landowners and the matter would become even more difficult because many people would occupy the new homes. For this reason, on the occasion of Eid, he proposed a scheme to the members of the community that all the new homes should be bought by Ahmadis. Thus, the members of the community answered this call and by the grace of Allah, the community of Peace Village was established as a result. Zishan Guraya Sahib, who is serving as a missionary, writes that many youths received moral training from Naseem Mahdi Sahib. And owing to that moral training, those youths are now missionaries in different countries of the world who are serving the community. Because of his moral training, they nurture a spirit of love and obedience to Khilafat within themselves. Similarly, Asif Khan Sahib, who is serving as the Secretary of External Affairs in Canada, writes that I was 13 years old when I came to Vaughan, and at that time there were about a few dozen Ahmadi houses in and around the mission house. I had little knowledge about the community at the time, and he treated me like a son and became my teacher. He would play basketball and all the while imparting teachings of the Jamal to us. And when I matured, he assigned me to contact different politicians. And even today, Asif Khan Sahib continues to do great work in this field. He writes that I received all my training from him. Mirza Maghfur Ahmed Sahib, the national president of the Jamaat in USA, writes that in 2016, Naseem Mahdi Sahib had the opportunity of serving in USA as the missionary in charge and national president. He rendered great services in USA. He went on many tours and very effectively initiated efforts for propagating Islam in various cities. Meanwhile, he also got the opportunity to spread Islam Ahmadiyya in USA through the media and various campaigns. And in light of guidance that he received from the Merkaz, i.e. the headquarters, to establish a branch of the Jamaat in Mexico, he had the opportunity to establish a mission house in Mexico. Basim Sayyid Sahib, the Secretary for Tabliq in USA, writes that he always tried to establish a bond of love and affection with everyone and took the first initiative to do so. He knew how to motivate everyone to serve Islam and after coming to USA, 
he effectively availed the various programs being held on 11th September to spread the teachings of Islam. He further writes that he also launched the Muslim for Life and Muhammad Messenger of Peace initiatives. Then there were lectures delivered on these topics in 65 universities in USA. Also, the book Life of Muhammad was given as a gift in great quantities to those who attended these lectures. Furthermore, he also started the Muslim for Loyalty campaign. He delivered lectures in various universities and held meetings with local governmental departments and raised awareness about the teachings of Islam. During his speech at Jalsa Salana, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih III rahimahullah once mentioned the efforts of Naseem Mahdi Sahib whilst highlighting the efforts of the Jamaat in Switzerland in regards to the scheme of producing introductory folders. Hazrat Khalifatul Masih III rahimahullah stated that there are three tribes that live in the mountainous regions who care for livestock in the mountains of Switzerland. All three tribes speak a different language and one of the tribes is 28,000 in number and the others are less than that. In any case, Hazrat Khalifat al-Masih III stated that coincidentally a folder was published for the tribe whose population was 28,000 and Naseem Mahdi Sahib, may Allah the Almighty reward him, consulted with me after which he was able to distribute 8,000 folders to each home. He distributed these in all the homes in that region and as a result there was a great uproar. Two newspapers wrote very critically against this. Upon this, I stated that an excellent prayer has been offered in his favour due to the fact that hundreds and thousands of folders were distributed. In any case, this was a short report presented by Hazrat Khalifatul Masih III rahimahullah during the Jalsa. May Allah the Almighty grant him his forgiveness and mercy, elevate his station and grant him a place in paradise among his loved ones. May Allah the Almighty grant patience to his wife and children and enable them to keep his virtues alive. And just as he spent his life with loyalty, may his progeny also live their lives with loyalty. The next mention is of Muhammad Ahmad Sharam of Rabba. This child passed away at the age of 16. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He was ever devoted to Khilafat, always smiling and beloved to all. He actively contributed in various financial schemes and regularly participated in Jamaat and auxiliary events. By the grace of Allah the Almighty, he was a Musi. Even at this young age, he had joined the Wasiyat scheme. He is survived by his parents and two sisters. May Allah the Almighty grant them patience and fortitude. <coughs> Thirdly, I will make mention of Salima Qamar Sahiba, wife of late Rashid Ahmad Sahib. She passed away on 16th May. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. By the grace of Allah the Almighty, she was a Musiya. Ahmadiyyad entered their family through Hazrat Mulvi Waziruddin Sahib of Makeriya, who was the maternal grandfather of her father, Chaudhary Muhammad Sadiq. 
Hazrat Mawli Wazirudin Sahib was a companion of the Promised Messiah alayhi salatu wasalam and a headmaster in Kangra. Her father, Jodhri Muhammad Sadiq Sahib, who was a Mawli Fazil, was a great elder of the Jamaat. For a long time, he had the opportunity to serve as the head of the Khilafat Library. He also had the opportunity to serve as Sadr al-Mumin Rabba for a very long time. Salima Kamar Sahib's father, was also honoured in light of guidance from Hazrat Khalifatul Masih anhu, to set up a tent and be among the first people to spend a night in Rabwa when it was being settled. The deceased received an early education in Rabwa and then obtained a degree in MA in Arabic from Talimul Islam College. For a long time she had the opportunity for serving in various departments from 1972 to 1982, she had the opportunity of serving locally in Lajnai Maila as the General Secretary. From 1982 to 1987, she served as the librarian in Amtulhay Library. And from 1987 to 2018, for a period of 31 years, she served as the editor for the magazine Mispa, during which time she managed Mispa in an excellent manner, despite the difficult circumstances. She was very pious, fervent in her supplications, and had a simple personality. She was regular in offering tahajjud prayers, as well as other voluntary prayers such as jashd and ishraq. She was deeply and sincerely devoted to Khilafat Ahmadiyya, and every aspect of her life highlighted her prayers. She was extremely pious, and she treated everyone with love and affection, and never became upset with everyone. May Allah the Almighty grant the deceased forgiveness and mercy and elevate her station and may Allah the Almighty enable her progeny to keep her virtues alive. Alhamdulillah, nahmadu wa nasta'inu wa nasta'khfiru wa n'aminu bihi wa natawakkalu alayhi wa na'awzu billahi min shiruri anfusina wa min sayyati amalina وَمَن يُضْلِلُ فَلَا هَادِيَ لَهُ وَنَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَنَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا رَسُولُهُ